Praise the Lord. So the pastor's been in this hero series, and he's been talking about different Bible characters throughout the Bible, and I've talked about a few. And he gets with me, and he gives me a choice of which one I wanted. And at the time, I said, I wanted Eli. And Eli's not going to be a hero, by the way. Uh, you'll see that as we get into the Scripture. And so what I've done over the last four weeks, I've tried to really put myself in, in, back in history during that time. I tried to put myself back in Eli's shoes. And I, I've been going over and over and over on this sermon, been going over and over and over listening to other sermons just about Eli. And so when you look at Eli, he's a high priest. He's a high priest for about 40 years. And we're going to see that. But I want you to understand something this morning. And I want you to understand 1 Peter 2 and 9 because it is essential that you, it is to the utmost importance that you understand this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen generation. Can somebody say amen? You just don't wake up one day and choose God. Uh, God moved and God drew you by his spirit. We just don't choose him. And, and you, you, you may think that, you know, when, when people are, are caught up into that where they think that they made the choice, no, God made the first move. God made the greatest move when he sent his son to die on Calvary for us. Can somebody shout amen? Praise the Lord. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. I want to grab a hold of that word priesthood. A holy nation, nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So what is the role that you and I play today in this time in history is that we are to proclaim the praises of God. We are to proclaim what he's done for us, that he's brought us out of darkness and he's put us into a light. That's what we should do because we're, a, we're the royal priesthood. That is our priesthood duties, if you will. Our priesthood duties. Father, I thank you for the word. And God, I, 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 I've been, Lord, ministering for many, many years now. And there's one thing I know, God, about your word. Some plant, some water, but God, you cause the increase. And Lord, I know this about your word. That your word is spoken out of truth. That your word will perform what your word says it will perform. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, Hebrews 14, I just want to lay a platform for you. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, we no longer have a high priest that represents us from a manly perform, from an earthly perform, from, 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 a, from a, a priesthood here on earth. We had the great high priest that represents us in heaven, and he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, and his name's Jesus, and he intercedes for you day and night. Can you shout amen? I want to tell you something. You think you're in control of your life? You think you have it all together? If it wasn't for Jesus interceding for you and I, we would be a total mess. A total mess. That's what he does for us. So a high priest's responsibilities. The high priest in the Old Testament played a key role in the religious system of the Israelites. He was the intercessor between God and his people, acting as their representative, representative for, before God. 
The priest offered sacrifice and gifts on behalf of the people to reconcile, the, uh, reconcile them to God. Eli was the great high priest. This was his responsibility as the great high priest. For 40 years, he was the great high priest. But somewhere along the line, Eli forgot his responsibilities. I hope somewhere along the line that we don't forget our responsibilities. I hope that when you leave this place that you share the good news about Jesus Christ to someone throughout the week. Because if we don't, then we're all just a bunch of hot air. We're all just here as a club. We're all here just gathering together to, get, to make us feel good. When we leave here, we ought to have a message for a dying and lost world. Can you say amen? That's your priestly role. It was Eli's priestly role to, to, to take care of the religious system. He was the intercessor between God and his people. This is Old Testament. It's found in 1 Samuel, and that's where we're going to be if you want to turn over. 1 Samuel, the first, second, third, and fourth chapter. You say all four chapters? Yes, all four chapters. I promise you, they won't, they'll go fast. So he had a responsibility. So the overview of Eli. I just, I just want to go over this overview quickly. He was a high priest for 40 years. He had wayward sons. His sons were no good. Matter of fact, his sons have lived so badly that there is not even no hope for them because God brings cursing on them. Mm. Mm. They would take sacrifices and, and, and misuse the sacrifices to their own good. They had women. They did all kinds of things. There's a part in the story of Eli where he meets Hannah. And Hannah could not have children. Familiar story, right, in the Bible. He, she could not have children. And we see this. She couldn't, she couldn't have children. And we see that she was praying, and, and Eli thought she was drunk. But she wasn't drunk, she was praying to God. He knew, Eli knew, and we're going to come across this in a moment, that Samuel had been talked to by God. He didn't fulfill his role of high priest. When we fail to perform our roles, things happen. Because Eli didn't fulfill his role, it tells us in chapter 3, the boy, the boy Samuel ministered for the Lord under Eli. In those days, the, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Who was supposed to be taking care of the sacrifices? Who was supposed to be taking care of the spiritual things in the temple? It was Eli. But somewhere under his reign, he had gotten lazy. He did not discipline his kids the way that he should have. And it says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. I don't want it to come to a point in this church or any church where the Lord was rare. The move of the Lord is rare. It can happen. I've thought about this many times on this church. Now hear me out. I'm going to speak from my heart. Pastor's not here, so he can't give me the evil eye. If he's watching, hello, Pastor. 
I can't see you. Uh, this church has seen a mighty move of God. But I, I can drive around the nation. I can drive around the countryside here. I can drive around from in different cities. How many knows of big buildings that are empty? That are empty. When, when did it happen in that church? Because they had to be thriving at one time. Look at the big buildings. That takes money. People give money. Temples are built. That takes money. And I, and I begin to think, when did it happen in those churches that the word of the Lord was rare and there were not many visions? And could it happen here? You bet it could. You bet it could happen here. The word of the Lord be can become rare when a lot of things happen that shouldn't happen. When we take our eyes off of God and start putting them on ourselves and start complaining and murmuring and saying this or that, yeah, I'm going to tell you something, the Spirit of God cannot and probably will not move when there's not unity in the body of Christ. If you want to do your church a favor, if you want to do your pastor a favor, stay unified. Don't get to the point to where it said about uh, CLW that the, in those days the word of the Lord was rare. It happens all the time. I shared last week with you before, but when you go from the last book of the Old Testament to the new book, to the first book in the New Testament, uh, before the move of God, uh, I mean before, before the New Testament, 400 years of silence, there was no great move of God. It happens fast. Let's break it down a little bit more. It happens fast in our lives. How many men, you, you, you know, the first part of last or this past year, you was on cloud nine maybe in March, and then July came around, and you found yourself here. Then October came down, and you found yourself here. Happens fast, don't it? Happens, how many is with me so far? How many loves me, or how many is ready to go home and start the new year? It's only going to get worse. Uh, a bad place to be when you're not hearing from heaven. It's a bad place to be. It was Eli's responsibility to hear from heaven. It is our responsibility to hear from heaven as believers. When we are not hearing from heaven, where are we hearing from? When we're not hearing from heaven, what are we listening to? Hmm. We've got to get to a point in our lives that we take this 100% serious, that we look at it. We're not just coming to church because it makes us feel good. We're not coming to church because maybe it's exciting. But we're coming to church so we can have an experience and so that we can worship and glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a bad place to be when you're not hearing from heaven. Eli had gotten himself into a very, very bad place. Very bad place. I am trying to figure out what he did up here. So I'm going to have to resort to technology because I can't change this because he said I can't get over to my notes. So, so far, that's all just from, that's not my notes. I've got to get over here and look at something here. Uh, because, I, like I said, I've been working on this for a while. And so I want to get over here to this point of the section. 1 Samuel, if you have your Bibles. 
and I think I can do it with here. All right, here we go. All right, so it's a bad place to be. Trying to rely on the glory of God when you're not living in the glory of God. These are my thoughts. These are not, no, I didn't pin these from anybody else. I've been living with this sermon for five weeks. Trying to live off the glory of past victories instead of creating glories and new victories. 1 Samuel 4, 1. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The, the Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and the battle spread. Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them to the battlefield. Now, to back up in chapter 3, and I'll just do this from memory, when you think about, when you think about Eli and you think about Samuel, Samuel had, a, you know, he could hear someone talking to him. And we're not talking about Samuel. Maybe the pastor's going to get into Samuel next week. I do not know. But we're talking about Eli. And I'm, I'm telling you, but he understood Samuel was a little boy. And Samuel kept hearing someone talking to him. He thought it was Eli. He'd go to Eli. And this happened three times. And on the third time, Eli realized that Samuel... Was, was hearing from God. Now, Eli could, 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 could see that. And then he gets to the point to where he tells Eli, you tell me what God says. And, and, and so Samuel just tells him, man, there's going to be a bad thing that's going to happen. Basically, you know, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, sons, I mean, all this bad stuff's going to happen to you. And so we pick up in chapter 4, and here, comes, here it comes to pass. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines of Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them to the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, Now listen to this. Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark. Now here we go. We're going to get into the heart of the sermon. Bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that we may go with us. So it may go with us and save us from the hand of the enemies. Now, in the Old Testament, the ark signified the glory of God, the presence of God, if you will. The ark today does not signify that. The ark today would be, if you found it, it would just be, you know, a symbol. That's all it would be. That was all it would be. A lot of people get caught up in that. They try to make it say things it's not. It's nothing because that's not where God resides today. God doesn't reside in the ark. And even in the Old Testament, I could probably submit enough, enough theological views that God resided in people, not the ark. But the ark was something that God gave them that signified his presence. And it was a good thing. And so here the Israelites, they went and they lost some men. About 4,000, they thought, man, we just got to get the ark of God. And if we get the ark of the God, the presence, that means God's going to be with us. But the only problem is they, they, they were trying to look at the past victories that God had given. And they didn't create none of their new victories. They hadn't been hearing from heaven, as I said. They hadn't been hearing the word of the Lord wasn't moving. Nobody was searching God. How many knows this morning if you, if, if, if you want to discover the truth of God, you got to search the truths of God. God's just not going to reveal himself to you if, you, if you if you're not searching for him, if you're not in the scriptures, if you're not in prayer, if your heart's not based, if you're not wanting something from God, God's just not going to go poof. I'll give you a great life. I'll give you many blessings. Listen, how do you know it's a blessing if you don't see it in the Word of God? Hmm? 
Maybe you've been asking for things, and I'm telling you right now, if you're asking things and they're not, they're not coming to pass, and you're saying, man, God, I'm asking this, go back to the Scripture and read what God has done. That'll strengthen your faith. And so we see this. They want this ark. And so, so they said, well, bring it. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Man, I want to tell you something. How many is thankful for the New Testament? How many is thankful that the glory of God resides in us? Woo! Know you not that you are the temple. So the presence and the glory of God today lives inside of born-again believers. And if you're born again and you're in there and you're in tomb of God, I mean, you're receiving the glory of God. Let me tell you something. I've lived long enough to realize this, that if I search God, if I pursue God, if I talk to God, if I pray, if I study, and not only if I pray and I study and I put those things to use. In other words, if I'm not doing this, if I'm struggling in forgiveness, I find scriptures that talk about forgiveness and I put those scriptures to use. But if I'm not, what makes me think I'm going to grow in the Lord? What makes me think maybe I'm not quenching the presence of God? Where does the presence of God live today? Inside of us. Inside of us. We, if you will, for lack of a better word, we are the Ark of the Covenant today. And God's presence lives inside of us. And I don't know about you, we got a new year, and we started over, it's a new year. It's a remarkable thing when you say a new year, right? All kinds of resolutions are made. Everybody's so happy it's a new year. I mean, all I've heard for, from about the last four weeks, probably including myself at work, because we went through some very turbulent times in the trucking industry this past year or two, and all I hear is I can't wait for the new year to start. December the 31st, January the 1st. It's still the same year. It's, it's, still, it's still another day. It's only new if I understand the mercies of God. Watch this. This, this. this gets really good. So the people sent to Shiloh that they may bring from their, this is 1 Samuel 4, they're the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, here's these rascals, Hophni and Phinehas, these are rascals. These are no good. These are, these are no good guys. I mean, these are, I remember we used to get up every day. I came from a very backwards place in Texas, and we went to school, and we all get there about 30 minutes early every day, every day, 30 minutes early. I bet some of you young people are saying, why would you do that? We got there so we could listen to Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. We came in our pickup trucks that could barely run, smoking, you know, anything you could afford, five, six, seven hundred dollars. Shame about it is, if I would have kept all the pickup trucks that I paid five, six hundred dollars for, today they're worth fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand. If I just kept care of them, but I didn't do that. And, and, and then that last fifteen minutes, we would listen to Jerry Clowers, the mouth of the South. That's what we did. And Jerry Clowers had a way with words, and, and I, I don't remember, but let's just call them the McCoy brothers. And the McCoy brothers were kind of like this Hoffnan Phoenix. They were rascals. And old Charlie McCoy, he died. And his brother Bobby, they were going to have a funeral, and he goes up to the preacher. And he said, Preacher, I'm going to tell you one thing. You better say a lot of good things about my brother Charlie. Because if you don't, I'm going to give it to you. 
that preacher got up and he said, you see this man laying in the casket? He is a no good, low down scoundrel. He is the worst guy that I had ever known. But according to his brother Bobby, he's a saint. You'll catch it later on. You'll catch it later on. This was Hophni and Phoenix. They were horrible. Misused the sacrifices, misused women. It was horrible. Even Eli at one point tells them what they're doing is not right, but he don't do anything about it. He doesn't do anything about it. And we're going to see this story as it unfolds. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted loudly as the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does this sound of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? They understand that the ark of the Lord came into the camp. Now I find this very interesting. Watch what happens. So the Philistines, not the Israelites, so the Philistines had more respect for the presence of God in some form than what the Israelites did. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. I didn't make it up. It's right there in verse 7. The Israelites wasn't afraid of the presence and the glory of God. They'd lost their fear. God's word wasn't moving during this time because of poor leadership of Eli. I am mesmerized sometimes that when we have services and how God begins to move. And it seems like there's only a certain few that will come forth. And sometimes the same few. I know that's harsh. I'm not trying to make you feel bad in that sense. But I'm just wondering if we've got so, so used to what we think the presence of God is that we can't experience the presence of God. You see, my desire for you and for me going into this new year is that we know God and his power. That we know him in the power of his resurrection and truth. That we know him and that we want to serve him. And there's something about coming to church that we're going to hear from heaven. I'd love to get up here and just bless your socks off and just preach all the good things. But I'm here to tell you today, if you think church, if you think preaching the word ought to be just tickling your ears and touching your toes, something's wrong. You ought to leave here sometimes with such conviction. I mean, you ought to shake sometimes in your chair because you know that you're not lining up right with the presence of God. It's not popular anymore. Let me tell you something, God got aggravated at Phoenix and, 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 and Hophnes in here. I'm telling you, he got aggravated at them. Matter of fact, if you read, I think it's chapter 2, it don't even look like there's no hope for him, Daryl. God already made his mind up. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. They said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues of the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Now they had it all wrong because they wasn't afraid of the God, not enough to the point to where they wouldn't fight against his children. But they did have some type of fear for him. 
I'm just bringing that out for a reason. So the Philistines fought. Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter that fell from Israel, 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, watch this, the ark of the God was captured and the two sons of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. The two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The thing that was prophesied about from a man, we don't know who that man is. The Bible doesn't tell us who that man is. It was prophesied about. And they died. The Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God. I know one thing, God's people. I just preach the word. Pastor just preaches the word. Daryl, you just preach the word. Something wonderful about God's word. When you preach God's word, how it deals with people. And they come running up to altars. I've seen it all my life. God can do more at an altar in seconds than we can do in a lifetime of preaching. The ark had left them. The presence of God for the way they seen it is gone. Is gone. The presence of God is gone. Why? Because Eli was not a good priest. He might have started off right. He was there 40 years. Why? Why did the system allow him to stay there 40 years? He had sons that were rebels. And now the glory is gone. But then I look at my own life. And I can see at times in my life where I wasn't in my word, where I got away from, my, from the word, got away from, from the ark, got away from, from welcoming the Holy Spirit to reside in me and to live in me. Did God give up on me? No. If I was God, I would have gave up on me. Because I want to share something with you that's very personal. And I want you to get a grip of what this means. And some of the men have heard this. You have not. And I am very humble, very apologetic to the Lord. And I live in a lot of regret to this day. But you see, I was a senior pastor before. And my church grew like this church. Well over 200 and something people. The day that we dedicated because we'd worked so hard in that community, the day that we built the new building and opened it, 575 people showed up for the first service. Things were good, and you know, people were being saved and everything, but then I got so busy. I got so busy that I got my eyes off of God and got my eyes on a woman. And the lives that I crushed and the lives that I hurt, it still torments me to this day. You know the old sin, saying? Sin will take you far you want to go, keep you there longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. I've often wondered what if. But there's not a what ifs left in life. 
What if I would have done this? Or what if I would have done that? And it breaks my heart. It rolls over in my mind. In my mind, especially when I see people from that church. Especially when I see that church. That's what it does. I had the roles of a priest, if you will. Daniel has the roles of a priest, if you will, to, to look out after you and for spiritual conditioning and to, to feed you the Word of God and to love you and to shepherd you. It don't take long like that. So I'm not so hard on Eli that I see that, wow, what a scoundrel. I see the own scoundrel in my life. I tell our youth all the time, I'm not here just to have church. I'm not just here for a feel-good moment. Man, I'm here because I want to know God. Now, I am here to tell you, thank God a million times over for His grace. Thank God for a million times over that he has forgiven me. Thank God for a million times over that God continued to use me after that. Thank God, thank God that he just didn't do away with me. Because if I was God, I would have probably talked about me, shot me dead, whatever, right? I... You know, it, it, it's, it's a horrible thing they died. I want to show you something here in Scripture. But when I think about the glory of God, when I think about the glory, and I look at this Old Testament, and I look at this story where the ark had left them, and the glory was gone. I look at that, and I think, man, where could you find something like this in the New Testament that would help us understand this even more? Well, God's Son, Jesus, had all the glory with, uh, with, with His Father in heaven. And all I know is when he died on the cross, he shouted out for a moment, Eli, Eli, loma bashephani, which means, my God, my God, why hath thou forsaken me? In other words, the ark, the presence of God, the, the, the ark of God, if you will, that presence of God, even in Jesus, because he died for all of our sin and all the sin was up him for a microsecond, a nanosecond, or whatever second it is, Aiden. A can tell you a lot of things about seconds. Say, microsecond's not the smallest second. A nanosecond, what's the smallest second? A what? Pito. Seco second or whatever. I can't hear. <laughs> I don't know how long God turned and could not look upon his son, but he obviously did for a second. And it crushed Jesus. Because he was representing humanity. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now bear with me, don't, get, don't go tired on me. So I look at that and I think that's what it is. Now watch this. Then a man, Benjamin, ran from the battle line, battle line that same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and his dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting. Now, you can't see. He's 98. Sitting by the wayside, 
watching. So I got to thinking in my, in, in my mind, I got to thinking, man, this sounds familiar somewhere. This sounds familiar. And I got to thinking about the prodigal son. Because you see, he was sitting. He couldn't see. He was watching by the wayside. And his heart trembled for the ark of God. Why is he sitting by the wayside? Why is he watching? He can't see. He's watching probably with his ears so he can hear somebody coming. But he knows there's something about sin. We know where sin will take us eventually. And when we live there and stay there long enough, we know the results. And it's almost like Eli was sitting there and he knew there was a battle. He's sitting in the chair and he's just waiting. He's waiting for someone. And what is he thinking about? He's not thinking about his sons at this moment, but he's thinking about the ark of the God, the presence of God. And I wonder as an old man, 98, was he sitting there and was he battling with the thought, man, where did I go wrong? Where did I stop desiring the presence of God in my life? Happens fast. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this torment mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. He was seeing with his ear. He was listening. I think he already knew something deep down inside of him as a father. I think he already knew that he lost his sons. The results of Eli not taking care of his priestly roles end up in a bad way for his sons. And for Eli's, we're going to see. He's sitting there just like the prodigal son, the dad in the New Testament, the parable that God gives. I sat there, and the greatest thing about that parable to me, it says, when the father saw him coming. As if that father every day went out and looked at that path to see if his child was coming home. To see if he was coming home. Now, the difference between Eli and this father, this father realized that he could not do nothing with his son in the parable of the New Testament. And he said, here, go. Hardest thing he ever had to do was to let his child go. But he knew if he let him stay at his home, it would be nothing but tumult. There'd be nothing but just trouble, just chaos. He had to let his child go. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to let someone go. Matter of fact, I believe the hardest thing that God does is he, when he has to say, I'm going to step back and let you go. I'm going to let you go because I love you that much. How many has been there where God let you go? You say, what do you mean? You know, you know where your sin took you. You craved something so much you wanted. it. Well, God just stepped back and said, okay, I'm going to step back. But the God that we serve, he's so marvelous that even when he does that, when we realize he lets us go, when we are the prodigal, we come back and we're willing just to fall before him, that he blesses us again. Can you say amen? That's God. Now, so the messenger answered and said, no, it didn't man of Eli, didn't, the man said to Eli, I 
am he who come from the battle. I fled today from the battle line. It was a long way too, matter of fact. It wasn't just a top, skip, and run. I think it was around 20 miles. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel fled before the Philistines. Mm. There's been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. <laughs> then it had happened. Now watch this. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God. What does the ark represent? The holiness, the presence, the glory of God. The Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy and had judged Israel for 48, 40 years. He died. Bear with me one more moment, because the story has one little, more, one little bit, uh, you know, spin on it. Watch this. Now, the daughter-in-law, Phoenix, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said, Do not fear, for you are born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. Because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father in law and her husband, and she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. I don't want to lose the presence of God. I want to wake up every day asking the presence of God to lead me and guide me. I want the presence of the creator of this world to just live inside of me by way of the Holy Spirit. I want to welcome him every day. I want to put this flesh behind me. I want to forget about those things which were behind me and I want to press on. Where are you at this morning? Are you in an Ichabod state? I don't know. You ought to be thankful you only get this about once ever so often with me. The youth, they get it all the time. This is the way that I teach our youth. This is the way that I tell them I don't cut no bones. Now, listen, we have some shouting times, but I want them to know that sin is real. I want them to know that the presence of God is real. I want them to experience the presence of God in their lives. In closing, come on, young people. The Ark of the Covenant. Have you became the Ark of the Covenant? Are you, are you the person that where God lives inside of you on a daily basis? Where the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Know you not that you are the temple of God and that he resides in you? Are you that person? And if you're not, do you want to be? They begin to play softly, every head bowed, every eye closed.
It's very early, church. It's 11.41. Don't you want to start the new year off right? Don't be like me and say what ifs. Don't be like me and have regret. I don't believe in my heart that my ministry will ever be the fullness that God intended it to be because of my sin. Oh, he uses me. He loves me. But the damages that have been done are done in some people's life for a lifetime. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're saved. But if you're not saved, I'm here to tell you I have good news. You can become the Ark of the Covenant for God. His glory wants to live inside of you. If you are saved, but you're not, you're not putting your best foot forward. You know, we as people, we can't lie to God because He's all-seeing and all-knowing. And we can't lie to ourselves because every morning we get up and we look in the mirror and self's telling us. We can lie to others. We can put on a front. You don't have to fall off a chair and break your neck and die. You can realize this morning that there is one great high priest that's sitting on the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. And he loves you. And he wants. He said, man, it is expedient that I go. I have to leave so I can send the comfort of the Spirit, the, the, the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. That's found in John. He wants the Spirit of the living God to live inside of you. I've talked enough and I'm simply going to say this if you're not saved these altars are open if you are saved and this message has touched you and you're struggling won't you come won't you come let's get real with God let's get real with God